Hello and welcome to today's episode of Talking Book Publishing. I'm your host, Kathleen Kaiser. And my guest today is Alicia Doyle, who has written one of the more interesting memoirs I've read in a long time on her life as a boxer and a champion, uh, championships that she won. Because when I first met Alicia, I think it was about 15 years ago, and I was doing some publicity for local nonprofits, and she worked for the local newspaper. She told me about this idea she had for a book. And, uh, you know, from time to time, I'd see her. It's like, are you doing anything? Oh, yeah, so we're working on it. And finally, the book is out. It just won an award. So uh, please welcome Alicia Doyle. Thank you, Kathleen. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today, and I'm su- super excited about doing this with you. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I think what you've done with your book is really amazing, um, and it's an interesting story. Why don't you tell everyone about your uh, life as a boxer? Sure, well, and thank you very much. Yes, um, when we did meet um, 15 years ago, maybe even longer, I, I remember it was all in my head at the time and there were a bunch of drafts. Um, so it only took me about 20 years to, to write my book. Um, but the book is about uh, my, my boxing career back in the 1990s when only a few hundred women in America were competing in this male-dominated sport. Uh, but uh, the story it goes much deeper than that. It's more about a personal journey, a spiritual journey, and how boxing... Um, changed me from the inside out and ultimately became my salvation. In what way? I discovered parts of myself that I I didn't realize existed. There was something about the training and the competition and um, the mental work I did through this sport that just made me a stronger person overall. And it's something that I, I carry through with me to this day. Um, the lessons I learned in boxing and not so much, you know, how to throw a punch, but more just about managing my emotions and, and controlling my anger and um, and keeping my mind positive at all times. You know, those are things that I learned through the sport, but they are things that are absolutely helping me now, especially during during this uh, pandemic. Oh, I would say those would be great, uh, great great information and, and a knowledge a lot of people don't have. A lot of people are having very depre- a lot of depression. Absolutely. And I'm going through that as well. Um, I do address, um, you know, the depression in my book, um, this aspect of mental illness, you know, that's a genetic thing in my family. Um, So I am predisposed to that. Um, I have certainly been going through depression spells during the pandemic, as I'm sure a lot of people are. And um, when I do, I I rely on um, meditation. I pray a lot. Um, But I do go back to think about all the times I was competing in boxing and how frightened I was every time I would uh, prepare for a fight, you know, and I feel like this pandemic, it's kind of like I'm fighting, we're all fighting. So I think back at those times and how how terrified I was to go through these fights, but then I would always survive. So I remind myself of what I survived and how how frightened I was back then. I'm frightened now, but I know I'm going to survive and, and we will all get through this, but it's really a matter of managing our emotions and not letting our minds uh, get the best of us during this time. For those lessons, have you, now you've translated it into helping you here, but have mm-hmm. they helped you with your career as a journalist and other work? 
Absolutely. Um, because boxing is considered one of the most difficult sports known to man. Um, that's why that not many people do it. Um, not many women or men. But there's something about the training and, and the fighting that just made me strong mentally. And that does translate into just day-to-day -day life um, with the uh, certainly with journalism. Um, I knew going into journalism and being a reporter that I that reporters, you know, sometimes were not liked. Um, I also knew I would never be rich. Uh, my journalism professor did say to me, if you're looking to be rich, don't become a journalist. Um, but I was told also that journalism was a way to make a difference and to, you can achieve justice and, and save lives through journalism. So that was attractive to me. Um, but, but certainly, yes, um, because the fighting and the boxing was so difficult that any assignment, um, nothing seemed as hard. No source, no assignment, no story seemed nearly as difficult after I was competing in boxing. Now, how many years did you compete? I competed for about two years. Mm -hmm. So I had 10 amateur fights, uh, five wins, five losses, three wins by knockout. And two of those fights, I won championship titles. So I'm a two-time Golden Gloves champion. Um, and my pro debut when I was 30, 30 years old was named the California Female Fight of the Year. Whoa. Well, why was that? Um, probably because it was such an incredible battle. Um, the pro, you know, back then there weren't a whole, whole lot of girls fighting, especially in the pros. So we, we, we reaped quite a bit of attention just being females in the sport. So that sport was an epic battle. My opponent, Lisa Valencia, it was an incredible warrior. Um, in the end, you know, we got a standing ovation. The crowd didn't, didn't care who won or lost because it was such a battle. Uh, I really thought that I was going to win in round three. It was four round fight in round three. I thought I got her. And she came out in round four, and I, I still to this day don't know where she garnered the strength to to win that round. But it was remarkable. It was a remarkable fight. So that that fight's in the book certainly because I remember every fight like it was yesterday, and every fight was very special because these women were very special. So I do take the reader back to every single fight and the the thought process and everything that was going on in every fight. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, it was one of the things that when I was reading the book, it was like. Boy, she remembered this. But then I'm thinking, if I was going into something that's this short time period and it was this intense and I'd been training, I probably would have remembered it too. You know, sure. there's things in my life I remember minute by minute and then there's things that are overviews. Yes, and, and fortunately, while I was competing, you know, I kept a journal. You know, being a writer, I journaled the, the entire time I boxed. And, and I was very lucky. I had these amazing coaches who were very spiritual men. So they were always saying things that were very spiritual. So I'd, I'd write those things down and kept meticulous notes. So that's why the book has all these beautiful nuggets of wisdom from these coaches. And a lot of these quotes and things they said back then, these are things that can apply to everyday life. Now, you are also, you coach boxing now for young children, right? I do. So uh, the, the boxing gym I coach at, it's called Kid Gloves Boxing. It's the same gym that um, inter that I that introduced me to the sport of boxing. You know, before I went out on assignment to write a story about Kid Gloves Boxing, I used to view boxing as the dark side. I had no idea how beautiful the sport was. Um, so anyway, you know, flash forward. Yes, I'm still a volunteer coach at Kid Gloves Boxing. We are in Simi Valley, California, and um, we have a young adult class ages four to 12. So I coach those classes and, and they're wonderful children. 
Yeah. Well, those are good lessons for a child to learn the, the self-reliance and to be stronger because um, I think today a lot with technology and that kids are a bit isolated mm-hmm. and being, being able to stand up on your own two feet mm-hmm. when you're confronted with someone and have the mental fortitude to do it. It's really good life lessons. It is. And it's amazing to, to watch them transform. Like a child will come in and they'll be new and they'll be super shy. Might not even say anything to anybody, be super awkward with their moves, but then they're in there a few weeks and they start to master things. And I should point out, this is no contact boxing with the children, zero contact. It's just boxing training in the fundamentals. And then once they master something, it's just you, you, you just see it from the inside out. You see that they come into the gym, they stand taller, they're, they're talking more, they, they're um, helping younger children. And it's an, that is the most fulfilling thing about it is watching these children transform. Well, now, because of all these lessons that you learned, how did that apply to how you wrote your book? Well, wow. Um, I, I must say that uh, writing Fighting Chance was one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically because I'm really vulnerable in that book, um, I reveal a lot of truths about myself um, that nobody knew about. And I was quite reluctant to be that vulnerable. There were things that I didn't want readers to know about me. But then I realized by not revealing these vulnerabilities that I was really cutting myself off from a lot of people because people resonate to vulnerability. It's the one common denominator we all share is we're all vulnerable in some way. And I thought, well, if I'm vulnerable, perhaps I can help somebody out there that might be going through something. And um, so once I got through those pieces, that that was uh, it made it a bit easier. But it was very difficult to relive those traumatic pieces of my past and put them in the book. Uh, but I do believe I did the right thing because the feedback I've received from people who have gone through similar experiences has been remarkable. Give us an example. Um, Well, one thing about the book is um, the big question, how did I get into boxing? And um, what happened, how I discovered Kid Gloves Boxing was I was alone in the newsroom one night and a community activist called and I was the only one there. So I picked up the phone and she started telling me about this gym for at-risk youth called Kid Gloves Boxing that was destroyed by El Nino Reigns. So um, I, at first I passed it off. I said, I'll give it to a sports reporter. And she said, you're not understanding what the story is. You know, these are at-risk youth. They, they have nowhere to go. The gym is destroyed. And these are kids, you know, they've got some serious problems. You know, these were kids. And I discovered later, you know, some of these kids, both of their parents were incarcerated or their parents had drug and alcohol problems or the children were being abused. They needed kid gloves. So because of that, my heart opened up and I got into reporting on this gym for about a year. And through that, um, just fell in love with the families and the children. But what got me into the boxing gym that day was um, I had gone through a really bad breakup with a boy who punched me in the face more than once. Um, needless to say, I was very angry about that. So I, um, I went to Kid Gloves Boxing because Robert Ortiz, the owner, had often said, why don't you come and take an aerobic boxing class? And I, you know, and I scoffed him off for the longest time. But after I was in that, um, that violent relationship with that boy, I wanted to go to the gym and hit something as hard as I could over and over again. That's all I wanted to do. I was so angry that I allowed this to happen to me. I was very ashamed of it. I certainly didn't want anybody to know, but after I hit that bag for an hour, I felt better. So that was my introduction into the sport was getting in and hitting that bag and, and feeling better for an hour. For some reason, all that pain and all that anger I had, it disappeared for that hour. So the next thing I knew I was taking that class over and over again. 
but that's what got me in it. And that's, that's one truth that I reveal in the book is, you know, I, and I don't call myself a victim of domestic violence because I'm a survivor and every woman out there listening to this, you are a survivor. You're no longer a victim. So that was one thing that I had to reveal. Yeah, that those are are hard things. I have went through that with an abusive first husband who tried to kill me. In fact, if a friend hadn't come home, I had letting I'd moved out, given her the keys, you know, say, you know, come over, you know, you can spend the night. And if she hadn't walked in, he would have murdered me. So it was, you know, everybody has those stories. Yeah, so many women do. And I'm so sorry to hear that happen to you. See, and I, I it was a did. long time ago. <laughs> sure. You know, and you survived it. And oh, you, yeah. I saw myself as a survivor. Yeah. And your situation sounds much yeah. worse than mine. I think mine could have escalated, but um, I, but it didn't. And, and the thing is, you know, as women, we love these men. <laughs> we, don't, we don't get into these relationships thinking these things. And then there's a lot that goes on when we love these men and they, and they hit us. Because I'll, I'll be honest, I, I still loved him even after that happened. Yeah, still- well, Paul and I went back and forth like that. And mm. he, I grew up in a home where we didn't drink. Nobody drank. He was, he was an alcoholic who, unbeknownst to me and to him, schizophrenia ran in his family. And that mm. comes on late teens, early 20s. We were 20, 21. So he was falling into schizophrenia and he was drinking to try and combat what was going on in him. And I had no idea who I was dealing with. Yeah. And this, this, you know, it was uh, 1971 was one of the worst years of my life. You know, it was 50 years ago now. Well, it's amazing how we can talk about these things, you know, something so painful and it's almost like we're talking it like it happened to somebody else, but it did happen to us. And, and these are the things, you know, these dialogues, you know, how, how special these dialogues are. And, and, um, when I revealed that truth in my book, I would get these emails from women that I knew, these strong women like yourself, you know, that I, you know, leaders in their community <laughs> who, who would email me and say the same thing happened to me and I would just be blown away by it. But see, that's what I mean is, you know, in the, and this heart connection by sharing our pain. I call those the heartbreak pieces. And there's a chapter in my book that talks about the heartbreak pieces. We're all made of a jigsaw puzzle, okay? And we've got all these pieces And we got heartbreak pieces too. And sometimes those are the pieces. We just want to throw those pieces away. But if we do, we don't have the full mosaic of our picture of our full jigsaw puzzle. And those pieces, those heartbreak pieces are the most beautiful pieces that make us who we are. We need those pieces. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's important. And I appreciate you trusting me to share that with you. (laughs) Well, it's something I talk about now. I've, it took me 10 years to even confront it. Yeah, see. You know, it took me 10 years to um, talk about it because it was buried so deep inside me, the trauma. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was my friend takes me to the emergency room. He had broken my nose that night. Oh. And of course, the first thing they say in the emergency room is, well, what did you do to him? I said, I was asleep. You know, that was 71. See, I don't think yeah. that question would even happen now. Oh yeah, it wouldn't now. But, but back that's then a horrible thing. That's not you didn't deserve that question. Yeah. Well, that's how they acted. You know, it's like, I don't want to talk to you. You know, I just don't want to talk to any of you. Yes. And I mean, we and validating each other and just and bearing witness to each other as women and 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 men get abused too. They just it's just not oh, yeah. as much, but you know, to bear witness and and to just 
share our vulnerability and, and allow us to be, you know, empathetic with each other is very important because well, we're I, all connected. Yeah. Well, I think like what's coming out with the Boy Scouts now and the thousands and thousands of people, grown adults now, I mean, admitting they were part of that, you know, that's affected so many people. And this uh, society that you want to hide everything that's shame, that's what screws people up. And they pass that anger on generation to generation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that shame factor was big. You know, I'm, I'm half Chinese. So that, you know, the Chinese family and the Chinese culture, you know, big, uh, big on that, uh, big on not, sh- not showing vulnerability, big on not sharing pain or, or, or failures, which I don't believe there is such a thing. Um, so I, you know, I was raised in that culture and it was a cultural thing. It's nobody's fault, you know, and I, and I talk about that in the book, you know, that um, appearances are very important in a Chinese culture. You have to look a certain way, act a certain way, marry a certain person, have a certain career, graduate from a certain university. A lot of markers that I didn't meet mm-hmm. by choice. So, you know, these are things, you know, that I had to rectify for myself. But yes, I mean, there's just no room for shame. And, and especially now, I mean, more and more people I've just found are willing to be vulnerable because what choice do we have? But well, in doing yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, if we don't share it, you're never going to be able to get past it or mm-hmm. to deal with it. And you also open up and tell help other people. That's you know, right. I actually, yeah. you know, a few years ago, something came up. I forget what it was. So I started talking about what had happened to me on Facebook. And it was amazing the reactions yeah. that I got from men and women. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. um, yes. And that... That breaks my heart a little bit to hear that happen to you. I, I didn't know. So I really, that's <laughs> yeah. a, wow. Well, it, it was a while ago. It still affects me because it's still a part of something I lived through, but it's something you get past. You can't let something stop you. That's right. And there was no way I was going to let what he did stop me. That's right. That's right. And as women, you know, it's important for us to do that. You know, we're still, I mean, women have come a long way. Okay. But we're still fighting for a lot of things. It wasn't that long ago that women were given the right to vote. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, You know, and, and, you know, I think about, you know, just, you know, this is so little in comparison, but when I was boxing, women were not allowed to box in the Olympic games. Which really? is unbelievable. They were not women were not allowed to box in the Olympics, not until 2012, which wasn't that long ago. When I was competing, I was not allowed to box in the Olympics because it wasn't allowed. So, you know, that's another marker. But, you know, we still have a bit of a way to go. And, and women are just women are strong anyway. And, and, you know, we're just rising up. And I've seen so many women, especially during COVID, reinventing themselves, realizing that what they were doing wasn't working or wasn't making them happy. And they're thinking, you know what? We, we don't know what's going to happen, but I've seen so many women, you know, starting podcasts or starting new businesses or just quitting their corporate jobs and starting something else that makes them happy. You know, so that's what's been one of, one of many great things that has occurred during this time as we all continue to adjust. I think so, too. And what I, I, I see is that, uh, you know, you have a plan for your life. You think you know where you're going and then suddenly, poop, who thinks pandemic? You know? <laughs> know. Who, who was know. planning for pandemic? You know, I mean, none of us. Yes. Nobody. So let's see, back in March, my book was published on Valentine's Day. Okay. So February 14th, right? And I had bought, so I bought boxes of books. I had book signings planned on like on my schedule, uh, like, you know, a lot of things. And then 
then COVID hit and everything was canceled and I had to readjust. And my thought was, what am I going to do with all these books? You know, I'd plan on selling them to make some money, you know, to pay bills, you know, make a living. It didn't happen. So I just got to a point where I thought, you know, I have to surrender to this. I had to surrender. Otherwise I was going to go crazy. And um, I really had to believe, and I do believe that there's a higher source. There's something higher above just overseeing all of this. And that has helped bring me comfort as well, because it's, you know, a, a change needed to occur, I think. And um, a lot of beautiful things have happened because of the pandemic. Just so many people stepping up to help each other. There's been so much assistance, some people bending over backwards to help people get food or pay the rent or whatever they need. So my community has come together. I mean, this Ventura County community is, is really strong and, and taking care of, we're taking care of each other. So that's one of the most beautiful things I've seen during this pandemic. Yeah, I, I found that too. I'm, you're on the east side of Ventura County. I'm on the west side in Ojai. And Ojai is kind of a small community anyway, but mm-hmm. people have really stepped up in so many ways to help out and do things and, uh, you know, fight to get testing up here. We were having to drive 20 miles to Ventura or Oxnard to get testing. We oh, finally wow. got testing. And now, like I go Saturday for my first uh, vaccine, they moved They moved to shots up here so we don't have to go to Oxnard. Well, that's great. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, but they get out and they fight. You know, there's, this yes. has a lot, of, one of the reasons I love it up here is there's a lot of strong women. A lot of strong women that speak up and take a stand and do things. And they're all like me. We're just, we're always going to be involved to the day that, you know, you put us in the ground, basically. We're not, you know, we don't, we're not into the retirement mentality where you've got to be active and involved. And I find more women, my, my best friend lives in Seattle and she's now a state Senator at 76. Oh, you know, she's having the time of her life. See, that's incredible. I love hearing those stories. And um, I, you know, there was one interviewer that asked me, you know, when do you plan to retire? And my my response was never. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'm just getting retire from retire from what I love. I have to stop doing what I love. Well, yes. And I mean, and there's just so many opportunities. I mean, I turned 50 this year and I'm just getting started. Oh. So yeah, yeah. I mean, retirement's like, I'm just getting started. You know, my first, first book comes out, came out, I'm working on the second, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to keep going as strong as I can. Yeah. You know? Now tell us what was the award you recently won? So I won um, first prize in creative uh, nonfiction and memoir. It's called the the North street book book prize, mm-hmm. the winning writers, North street book prize. So that was um, an incredible honor uh, totally unexpected. And and um, that was a day I was having a bad day, you know, up and down with the COVID. I was having a really bad day. So I remember, I remember when I received that email um, announcing that I had won first prize. And I, of course, I cried because I was so happy. And it was just confirmation to me that I was on the right path. Because of course, of course, I questioned things, you know, we, we had all these plans, and then they didn't happen. So you know, I, I did question, you know, did I publish at the right time because I self-published, you know, and then when I received that award, for me, it was confirmation that, yes, I'm on the right path and that everything is going accordingly. Well, you know, doing a memoir, you have a much longer market than, say, fiction does because yours is, you know, it's a it's a glimpse of, lo- of, of time in a life. Your book doesn't have an expiration date and or like political books do. 
Uh And so you, you know, things are going to turn around and you'll be able to go to the bookstores and do your signings. And you do have a very active Facebook uh, following also all about your book. Oh, thank you, Kathleen. And you've been such a great support. And um, I love what you're doing with the writers and helping other writers. And I appreciate the compliments on on my uh, my social media because all the marketing, you know, I've had to do it all myself. Um, I, you know, was I'm not in a position yet to hire a marketing person or PR person. Otherwise, it would be you. <laughs> um, so I had to do quite a bit um, all my own. And, um, you know, any advice out there, you know, I should say that there's so many free resources. You can search for anything online. Um, you know, I, you could just like, you know, how to do social media posts. There's like a frequency rating. You should do a certain number of times a week. There are even days of the week that you're supposed to do it in a certain windows of time. So I just started following those rules and I started having fun with it. Um, that was my, my big key. It's like, if I'm not going to have fun with it, I'm not going to do it. So I've, I've had a lot of fun and I appreciated you complimenting that because I was worried if <laughs> am I hoping doing the right thing, but it seems to be working. Well, you did. I think the very last meeting of the IWASC IPN media, WPN meetings in Thousand Oaks, which we hold once a month, and I'm going to start them virtually in March again. Um, They, you know, you came because I thought we were talking about social media and I thought what you were doing right then, because your book was about ready to launch. I think it was the February meeting you came to. Uh, I wanted you to talk about that. I, that's why I sort of pulled you out of the audience and said, come up here and let's get you up on the screen. Because it was, um, I was watching what you're doing. I'm going, boy, she is working this. You know, she's talking not only about her book, but about the boxing. And then you had about the kids that you were helping, you know, kid glove. And it was, you were really going for it. And I think you took a lot of your reporter's attitude of following the story. You were making it nice little bits to put up on Facebook. So you had a continual flow of things um, coming out. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah, I worked very hard on that. And um, a resource that I found that's really fantastic and it's free, it's called Canva, C-A-N-V-A. So they have a a lot of really wonderful free templates on there. They even have like social media templates. You can get a Twitter template, a Facebook template, and an Instagram template. You can go on there. You can create your own design, and then you download it, and you can just post it. So that's an awesome free resource that I use quite a bit, Canva. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some of them that you've done that look really, really professional. I go, she's getting good at this, because I remember you talking about that that night. I think you had just discovered it recently then. Yeah, it, they 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 come out looking professional. It looks like you'd hired a designer to do them and you're doing them yourself. And that's that's why there are tools out there that writers need to reach out and learn about. It's not that hard. And I always say, no matter what you want to learn, Google it on YouTube. There is somebody there's probably 20 people trying to show you how to do the exact same thing. And I'm one of those people since I have dyslexia watching somebody do something is much easier for me than reading how to do it. Oh, sure. And the the YouTube videos, you can learn how to do postings. You can, like with Kava, you can, you know, learn how to do beautiful looking graphics to put up on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you, you know, because you have to find the tool you like. 
Sure. And I mean, you could even do like, um, like eye catching, you know, Google eye catching, you know, Instagram posts, and you will find something on on like the best eye catching Instagram posts. And yeah, and what's lovely about technology, one of the many things, you know, is you can research anything, you want to learn anything, you can research it. And I love the YouTube videos. Yeah, because sometimes it's like confusing if you read the directions, but if you watch somebody do it, it's much easier to absorb but um, it's wonderful, all this free information that's available now. I love the people that put it up there. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, they yeah. have a channel and they're running ads, so they make some money if they're, they have a good following. But I appreciate it because it's like I can sit there and go, oh, that's how I need to do this. You know, I forgot how to do something in Photoshop like a few months back. I just couldn't bring it up. So I have Photoshop on my other iMac over here and I have this one on the Internet and so I just brought it up and they've got it running and I'm over here doing it here, you know, and it was like, oh, of course, how did I forget that? You know, <laughs> it was something that I'd done for years and I was just blanking. And yet, oh, sure. you Google it and up it comes on YouTube and you figure out what you were missing. Well, yeah, and yeah, and have fun with it. You know, I, I enjoy doing those things. I have fun with them. It's fun designing them. It's fun picking photos and the right wording and fonts and all those things. It's just super fun. Um, I think it's important. Um, you know, if you're if you're a writer, or you're writing a book or anything you're doing, it's important to go to the work. You know, and and have fun in mind. Well, you have to market your book. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. That's something a lot of authors resist or don't think they have to do. And those days of not marketing your book, those don't exist anymore. Right. Right. And, and there's just so many platforms, you know, I'm still discovering platforms, new things that are coming out um, that I'm joining just any, any way to market my book. And then learning about all the, the, the whole hashtag, the <laughs> hashtag business, like there's a science and art to that too. Um, you know, certain hashtags, you know, and then you, you can just, you just build it and build it and build it. And it's been really fun figuring these things out, you know, and Hey, and, and the younger generation, I tell you these 20 somethings, they got it down. So mm-hmm. if, if there's anything like I have a question about, you know, I'll, I'll call, you know, a millennial, I don't know if they're millennials or maybe they're in their thirties, but you know, I'll call somebody in their twenties because they got it all hard, hardwired in their brain. They've been doing it their whole life. Right. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, the youngsters are have been a great help these days too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a young team that works with me and uh, it's like a lot of this stuff, it's like, you know, I was there in the beginning because I worked in uh, digital technology, producing conferences and trade shows starting in 88. So I rode the desktop publishing revolution. So I know a lot of what happened that became why we have print on demand now and we can print one book at a time and save money. I understand that whole workflow and it worked with all those people, but it's getting to a point where I think I'm sort of maxing out on technology on a certain point, (laughs) you know, it's like, you know, how many more of these do I have to learn, you know? Yeah, I think, yeah, and then new stuff comes out all the time, and with every platform, the process is a little bit different. Yeah, I was very sad when Adobe Flash was retired. It's like, well, I remember when they started that. I know I've been using this for, you know, two decades, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know, me too. Now there's no support left for it. It's like obsolete. (laughs) No, nobody's supporting it. It's gone. It's like, well, there's a set of tools I can throw away in my brain. You know, it's like, how do you sort out the old software and throw it away, you know? I know, right? (laughs) Well, when... um, 
Uh, is there anything that you would give as advice? Just one thing I, I would, uh, because you make a living as a writer mm-hmm. and you've now gone off into becoming an author. What advice would you give to a younger person? Because I, I try to encourage people to, you've got to do what your dream is or do something that's fun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Life is way too short not to be doing something you enjoy, something that stirs your passions. What would you say was a good piece of advice for writers? If you have a book in you, um, then you you have a book to write. Um, if you had an idea that's been you know rolling around your brain for a while and and it just keeps building momentum, then it's then you should absolutely absolutely go to it. Um, the journaling was a great help for me, just writing things down. Sometimes you know I would get flashes of inspiration when I'd be out on a walk or something, and I would immediately text myself a note to include. Um, so taking notes, um, the journaling, I highly recommend, uh, vision boarding. Uh, I, you know, if your readers know what a vision board is, um, I created a vision board for my book and, um, and hung it on my wall and it, you know, was there for six years. And then I, I had happened to look at it and everything on that board manifested. So what a vision board is, is you basically cut out pictures and words of things that you, that you want to manifest. So for me, I put a picture, it was just a blank book cover because I didn't even know what the title of my book would be, but it does say award-winning writer. It does say, you know, prizes, um, you know, the critics are raving, that sort of thing. Everything on that board has manifested. So those things work. I think that just keeping it in your mind, I mean, if you have this book in your mind that you want to write, imagine it, imagine it already written. Picture what the book is going to like, imagine it in your head. Um, imagine people buying it, imagine getting great reviews, imagine winning prizes, you know, anything and everything you want, you can absolutely manifest if you stay focused on it. Um, And I say that from firsthand experience. I haven't done that just with my book. I've done that with many other things. But if you have a book inside you um, and you want to write it, just, you know, imagine it done, know it's going to be done. And then because I self-published, you know, that that was a really um, awesome experience, um, that's Pendernalis Publishing, uh, Jose Ramirez, who you know, Kathleen, he's he's a gem to work with. Um, he made the process fun. And um, I highly recommend doing it that way if, if um, you want to self-publish. Mm-hmm. We had we had Jose uh, do a podcast. So he'll be up there with the rest of these. Yes. Yeah, he's, he's great. And just such a nice person. And highly accessible and highly professional. And um, I just, I love his accessibility. Yeah, he, I mean, sometimes I'll have somebody who's having a problem at 10 o'clock at night and I yeah. type him off. And, Can you help this person here? And I do an introduction email. It's like, you know, please help them. They've got this problem, especially if they've had some designer, didn't know what they were doing and stuff. And Jose solves the problem. Yes, he does. And I don't have to worry about anything with him. You know, anything I need, he'll just tell me exactly what needs to, you know, what I need to do on my end. And then it's it's super quick. Um, like, of course, we had a slight delay, you know, poor Texas, you know, God oh. bless Texas. Um, Jose's in Texas. So I, I hadn't heard from him in a while. And, and he normally gets back to me right away. So I was concerned and I didn't realize he lived in Texas. And when he when he got back to me, he was he mentioned, you know, that he was there and I knew exactly what was going on. You know, they were having some serious power issues. Yes. That was why he couldn't communicate. So um, he's, but he's back on track and, you know, still moving forward. Yeah, (laughs) they're great. Well, Alicia, why don't we give everyone again the name of your book and your website? 
The name of my book is Fighting Chance, and my website is easy. It's aliciadoyle.com. Okay. Well, thank you very much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. As everyone can tell, Alicia and I do know each other. So (laughs) we have a good time laughing and talking. But I hope some of the information she had will help you. And thank you very much, Alicia. Oh, thank you, Kathleen. Talking Book Publishing is brought to you by Writers and Publishers Network. It's a resource for writers and indie publishers at every level and offers tools to be successful in their writing career. Writersandpublishersnetwork.com. Don't miss our after-hour segment, Conversations with the Producer, a segment where our producer, Adana Moriarty, talks with our guests and lets the conversation mosey wherever it moseys to.